It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Huey Lewis once recorded a single titled, I Want a New Drug. The anti-inflammatory drugs of tomorrow may look a lot different than the ones we're used to, as today's guest, Aditi Das, explains. She's an assistant professor of comparative biosciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine with an affiliation with the Department of Bioengineering and Biochemistry at the University of Illinois. Her research focuses on understanding how fatty acids, in particular omega-3 fatty acids, get converted into anti-inflammatory lipids, signaling molecules by epoxygenesis. Through a grant from the National Institute of Health, she is leading a research team on a discovery of novel endocannabinoid epoxides that are anti-inflammatory. Her work has been featured in Forbes, Bioscience Technology, among others. Professor Das, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to give a talk, yeah, yeah, talk about these molecules. So talk about uh, the discovery, and uh, I, I guess when you're talking about endocannabinoids, you're going all the way back to the 60s where uh, they discovered through marijuana, cannabis, that there were some medical properties that it existed. So just talk about what they pulled out uh, to, to prove that there were some, some medical um, benefits to that. So I think when they started looking for, it was Rafael Micholum who was looking for what does cannabis really bind to in the body. So they found this cannabinoid receptor, and you won't believe it, the discovery was just in 1984, 1993, when they started discovering the receptors that's involved. And then they found that there are endogenous molecules in the body that will do the same function as cannabinoids, and that was a major discovery. So they discovered two molecules called anandamide and uh, two agdonal glycerol which are two in 1992 and 94, which are endocannabinoids. And that started the field of these endogenous cannabinoid-like molecules. So your research talks about that the same properties occur more in natural and in fatty acids. So just talk about your discovery and, uh, and where, that, where that is heading. So our lab got interested that what about, uh, like people have worked on omega-6 endocannabinoids, and then we started thinking about what about omega-3 fatty acids? Are they making endocannabinoids too? So we found that uh, very few papers which said, yes, they make omega-3 endocannabinoids, but they don't seem to do anything. So then we went ahead and looked further into what these metabolites gets converted to, and we found a huge class of molecules which are all anti-inflammatory and most likely to be anti-pain as well. So, therefore, these molecules are derived from omega-3 endocannabinoid by the, through the epoxygenase pathway forming omega-3 endocannabinoid epoxides that has variety of property very similar to medical cannabis. So talk a little bit about the chemistry part of it um, and, and how it works within the, in the, the body and, uh, and how you were able to, to discover this property. So the the body uh, under an inflammatory response is very different from a healthy body. So during inflammation, what happens is a lot of the enzymes get upregulated. So one of the enzyme class is cytochrome P450. So these enzymes, when they're upregulated, they start metabolizing different compounds to form new compounds. So these P450s or the epoxygenases metabolize these omega-3 endocannabinoids into omega-3 endocannabinoids 
cannabinoid epoxides. And these epoxides are special because they are not only anti-inflammatory, but they are also vasodilatory, anti-angiogenic, and show a variety of very beneficial properties that helps in shutting down the inflammation. So alternatively, we can say they help in inflammation resolution, which is shutting down the inflammation so that it doesn't become a chronic inflammation. So in your study, um, are you recommending that people change their diet, particularly in, in, uh, when they're in, in these conditions, or do they take some of these fatty acids and actually convert them into drugs? So there are lots of, the study on the omega-3 versus omega-6 uh, fatty acid, there's a like, lot of different studies showing different types of outcomes. And um, so... So I won't, uh, as a, you know, I'm not a physician, so I won't really recommend that people take omega-3 fatty acid, but I think it's important to study the downstream metabolites of both omega-3 and omega-6, and then understand the nuances in their uh, activity in different disease states. Uh, for instance, like for cardiovascular diseases, omega-3 endocannabinoids have been shown to be good, and it's beneficial to have omega-3 fatty acids, but for cancer, the answer might be different depending on also on the cancer subtype. So therefore, uh, it has to be, you know, there's a caution there that, you know, think, think about all the things that these omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid could do. So you are in the College of Veterinary Medicine. Talk about uh, what this, how this research fits in in, in your home college. Uh, so my home college, so if you notice and go back in history, you'll see many of the discoveries were done, like especially the endocannabinoids were done in pig brains. So pig brains enzymes are very similar to that of human enzymes. So I think that it, that's an advantage of being in vet school that I can, I actually isolated these metabolites first from pig brains and pig heart. Uh, and how it fits in is... Uh, uh, at the end of the day, humans are just another animal. <laughs> so, you know, so, so I think the, the mechanisms are all these molecular mechanisms of omega-3 fatty acid metabolism is common to all the species. Like you can start from mice, rat, pig, cow. All of them have these uh, lipid metabolites and they all do similar kinds of effects. So I think that's how it helps to, you know, bring everything together in the vet school. So tell everyone, uh, you've, you've heard about THC, which obviously fits in. What is that? And uh, just explain that if you could. So cannabis, uh, some of the primary component of cannabis are THC, CBD, uh, CBN, then both uh, THC-8 as well. So these uh, cannabinoids, they function by binding to cannabinoid receptors in the brain, in the gut, and in the cardiovascular system everywhere. So THC actually led to the discovery of the endocannabinoid system because first they've tried to figure out what is really THC binding to. And then they started looking for what are the endogenous uh, substrates of these receptors. So THC is very important, let's say, for the discovery of these endocannabinoids. <laughs> So uh, when m most people think about taking drugs, they're, they're, uh, I think you're putting the drugs directly into your nervous system. But you've kind of discovered that your immune system can be helpful in, in, a, in attacking the, uh, the, as, uh, the in inflamed areas as well. Just talk a little bit about that a little bit. So when in the brain there are immune cells called microglial cells, 
and astrocytes. Uh, so when there, the brain is inflamed, so there is an inflammation going on, which is common in all the uh, diseases of the central nervous system, such as you know Alzheimer's, Parkinson, all these are inflammatory, brain inflammation diseases. So I think what my studies show is that during an inflammation process, there is an automatic generation of these anti-inflammatory lipid metabolites that can reduce the inflammation and, and do the vasodilation. And that also means that they'll be useful for diseases like stroke when you have a rapid inflammation. So this shows that not only we have to take an anti-inflammatory drug from outside, there are pathways inbuilt in the body that actually resolves the inflammation that's happening. And there could be potential targets to intervene and to induce this inflammation resolution pathway. So talk about um, your relationship with physicians. I mean, you you mentioned I'm not a physician, (laughs) but uh, I'm sure that um, the medical field, very interested um, in this discovery, um, where are you in terms of, of uh, maybe doing the research and, and, and adding actual patients uh, through physicians? Uh, talk about those conversations. So I have been trying to think about the translational potential of my work. And uh, so there are two places that I'm actually collaborating with. So one is I have some of these potential molecules are being tested for their anti-platelet aggregatory uh, uh, process with the University of Michigan. And uh, that person has contact with uh, clinicians where we are taking patient samples and seeing how they are uh, anti-inflammatory, do they produce these metabolites. On the other end, these are also anti-pain molecules, and they might be one of, uh, uh, like, lead to the pathway of making non-opioid pain drug. And therefore, we are, I'm talking with and working with two collaborators at uh, UC Davis and UC Irvine, where we are looking at how these molecules are involved in pain in different animal models. So many of these studies are still now in the preclinical stage, but I have been talking with physicians regarding their potential for translation. Well, certainly the, uh, the opioid is an epidemic, um, and so I, I know that physicians are looking for an alternative to that. So could this particularly lead to something that's not uh, opioid drugs that are very highly addictive and have other side effects. I mean, this uh, seems to me would be a, a really good alternative. So one of, uh, like, a similar molecule derivative is being tested for anti-pain drug, as well as many of the, there are two other anti-pain drugs where the mechanism might be explained by the molecules which are formed in the body, which we discovered. Uh, And these molecules are supposed to be all uh, non-addictive because they're endogenously produced, and derivatives of these molecules could definitely be an anti-pain. So I feel there should be an alternative for opioids, and this probably is a pathway that will provide that alternative and perhaps being developed uh, soon uh, for tackling the opioid uh, epidemic. Well, obviously, with uh, FDA and and so forth, there there is there is a big lag time. So, uh, you talk a little bit about um, the steps that that have to be taken. You know, obviously, we're talking years potentially before uh, may p- this gets into patients. Uh, what does that process look like, and and uh, how long can we expect uh, to to wait and, until this is really a viable alternative? 
So that's a long process. That's true. So I think the first thing is to set up the mechanism of how uh, there are two types of inhibitors. One enzyme is called fatty acid amide hydrolase. There are inhibitors of that for anti-pain. And soluble epoxide hydrolase are inhibitors which are also anti-pain. But these molecules, uh, when they're anti-pain, should be increasing the molecules that we discovered. Um, So these molecules have been mostly tested in the preclinical model, and I feel right now the stage is to figure out the mechanism. And the reason being that if the mechanism is properly mapped out, then there won't be any failure downstream. And it, could, it will be easier to convince the FDA to, uh, to look, take a like, you know, closer look at the molecules. But the fact that this is basically natural, uh, something your body produces anyway, you're talking about using a natural f- through foods and things like that, may speed up that process potentially. Uh, that's true that these are naturally produced, but one has to remember that the natural production is like a, like it produces many different metabolites. So if you want to do a targeted therapy with this particular molecule, you'll have to make biomimetics, which will be drug-like molecules. So that will be natural product derived, but still a little bit different. So you're still in, in the midst of this NIH grant. Uh, talk about what else you hope to discover? What other things that you're working on in this in this realm? Yeah, I'm very excited. So my lab is funded both to NIGMS, which is the the uh, NIH uh, General Medical Sciences for the basic science discovery, and my lab is also funded to another NIH grant from National Institute of Drug Abuse. So what I'm looking for to achieve is that I want to discover more molecules like this. And at the end, get a big picture of which molecules are the most beneficial. There are already like 10 different endocannabinoids we are working with, which are all omega-3 derived. We are discovering them slowly in both like the brain samples and the human blood samples that we are analyzing. So I'm looking forward to discovering uh, more of these metabolites with novel medical properties. Well, I continue to be amazed at the interdisciplinary of, um research and things like this across campus. Just talk about who you're collaborating with um, and and what roles that they play in this research because I look down the, the people that are in your team and that the, the research teams you're collaborating with, uh, they're all over campus basically. Yes, I really enjoy being in Urbana-Champaign. It's a very collaborative environment and I collaborate extensively uh, with uh, every college, many colleges uh, on campus. Uh, so some of my primary collaborator for this work is, uh, I can start the name with uh, Emad Tashkarshid, who does a lot of molecular modeling work with uh, you know drug binding to the protein. And uh, uh, we also work with Rodney Johnson, who has piglet neuroinflammation model, uh, Andrew Stillman, who has a multiple sclerosis model. And then we work with... Uh, um, Chris Killian, he is a professor in bioengineering, and he looked at, helped us in looking into a lot of the angiogenesis assay. And I've also worked with Andrew Smith. So there's like a lot of names I can take, and there's a lot of people I work with uh, in bioengineering, biochemistry, material engineering. Uh, I also work with Chin um, and in animal sciences. So it's very cross-disciplinary and my work. Uh, and I actually, it's very nice. This campus gives me the opportunity. I can just walk into somebody's office, explain them the reason research and they they are on board. <laughs> well, we, we definitely like to talk about the research, but we also want to kind of step back and say, where is this going? Could this be a gateway to a whole new uh, 
field of research um, to, to try to find solutions to, to problems that we've had for, for many years. I think overall, uh, this would be a way to control chronic inflammation, and inflammation is the key to most of the diseases. Like if you uh, take a closer look at all the diseases that uh, bothers mankind right now, which is cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, all of these have an inbuilt inflammation. So if we uh, start discovering these classes of molecules, which are anti-inflammatory molecules, then they will combat inflammation and overall help in all the different diseases states. So we are definitely going somewhere by understanding this lipid lipid signaling molecules, their role in inflammation and in pain, and trying to tackle multiple disease states and maintaining the body's uh, equilibrium. So um, talked a little bit about this earlier, but should we be changing our diet? <laughs> are these preventative or are these taking, uh, once you have a symptom, uh, it helps in the anti-inflammatory, or is these should we should we be changing right now to to help us fight diseases that we haven't even uh, got yet? So I think the epidemiological studies show that having an omega-3 based diet is helpful to, for the reduction of inflammation. And with respect to the metabolites, uh, they can be taken during inflammation. Right now, they are more preventative than curative. Uh, but maybe in future, we can have some drug analogs, which could be used for cure uh, rather than prevention. So what foods are we talking about, omega-3 fatty acids? I think pe- people have heard these terms, but for, for people that may not know, what foods are we talking about? So there are vegetarian and non-vegetarian options for these food items. So salmon, and that's only wild-caught salmon, not the farm-raised one. Um, Then walnuts, uh, chia seeds, all of these have uh, omega-3 fatty acids. And there are also companies that sell omega-3 fatty acid in a purified form. Um, So these are, I think, few foods we are looking at. (laughs) So... I'll give you a chance to talk a little about some of the other things that you're researching. What what else do you see coming down the pike out of your team? So my team uh, primarily focuses on membrane protein mechanisms. So we want to understand membrane proteins, which are 50% of the drug targets. Uh, so what's coming out from, from my research group are two, uh, like, Uh, two major pathways that we are trying to figure out. One is membrane proteins, how do they function? And the second thing is the new lipid metabolites that we have been researching. So you would be seeing a lot of papers from my lab, which will report many new uh, endocannabinoid epoxides with varied kind of biological properties. And so, and finally, what what are the takeaways? What are the things uh, that we've talked about that our listeners need to know that uh, they should take away from from our discussion? Um, So the take-home points are uh, when the body is inflamed, it's different from a healthy body. And when it's inflamed, then it upregulates a lot of enzymes that will synthesize these new metabolites from the omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid that's already in your body and try to reduce the inflammation. And then once the inflammation is reduced, then you come back to a healthy state. So inflammation is not bad, really, but inflammation has to be resolved. And it's important to understand that point. (laughs) So the inflammation is what causes the pain. So, for instance, if you've got um, a a back problem, you're probably pinching Mm -hmm. on a nerve that's causing the pain. You have to take care of that inflammation before the pain goes away. 
Uh, right. So inflammation is very uh, strongly linked with pain uh, as well as other uh like disease states, and therefore you have to reduce the inflammation for the pain to go away. And there are very few drug options. They're just NSAIDs and opioids. There needs to be more options, definitely. Aditi Das has been our guest. I uh, appreciate you coming up campus here to, t- to talk with us, and we look forward to seeing what comes next out of your lab. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'll be very, I'm very happy to talk about these molecules. <laughs> This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Thanks for listening. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corps of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.